I'm a current, and I don't listen to our damn show anymore because that's fake news. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 400 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, 400 times, Jesse Dollamore. And seated across from me, the lovely, talented, and scholarly lady who has put up with me for over 400 episodes, including bonus, Brittany Page. 400 episodes. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. It, it, well, listen, I, I mean, there's lots of shows who have done more than 400 episodes, certainly. But when we started this, mm-hmm. I think we had a pretty fair understanding that uh, it might have fizzled after like 10 or 12 episodes. Because we didn't know whether we'd be good at it. Yeah, that's true. We didn't like do test episodes. No. We bought the shit mm-hmm. equipment, some of which we're still <laughs> using. Yeah. And uh, we just did it. Mm-hmm. Gave and, it a try. And, you know, very quickly, more quickly than I expected, we... Figured it out. Well, and we also, like, people started listening. Yeah, that too. So so 400 <laughs> episodes. Um, it was over four years ago. March 11th, 2014 mm-hmm. was, the, was the day. And uh, it's been an awesome experience. Yeah. So we're here to announce that this will be our last episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. So what would you say, if anything, have have you, Brittany, learned or what's kind of your takeaway after 400 episodes? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Thank you. I thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Finally, I asked a good question. <laughs> I think the the biggest thing that's coming to mind for me right now is probably I, I think it's always been difficult for me to decide how much of like my personal life to talk about. And yeah, there sure. there are some things that we have decided that we aren't gonna talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. And that is for privacy concerns, but also for um, safety concerns at times because of the threats yeah, yeah. from crazy people that you get. Um, and they are many. Right. And and so there are parts of my life that, that we don't talk about here, but there are some parts that I have opened up about, um, like my background. Um, and Namely, because there might be people out there listening or, or watching on the live stream that... Uh, you were raised in a white supremacist household. Right. Yeah. Um, and also talking about some of the just general chaos in my childhood home and things like that. Yeah. Which are things that I normally don't talk about um, in my life because it's not really relevant. Um, unless something comes up and then it's relevant, then I'll talk about it. But generally, I don't. And I think being on the show has helped me um, with being able to talk about some of that stuff. Sure. Um, 
and I guess this is present in my mind because I recently saw a Twitter thread uh, from a college professor who tweeted about being a first-year college professor or a first-generation college student mm. um, who became a professor. So she's been very successful, made it to the top, right, achieved her goals. And she had a student come into her office hours and was asking her questions. And at some point they asked, are you a first-generation college student? The professor said yes. And the student said, how did you do it? And started crying. And then they kind of had this exchange. And I've seen a lot of academics reposting this saying that they always struggle with how much of their personal life to share with their students and where that boundary is. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot lately about how we're all, most of us are walking around with these life experiences that we feel like we can't talk about. Um, whether they be past traumas or just any kind of chaos, but how beneficial it is when you do share those things yeah, sure. with people. And why do you think that is? Uh, why are we all walking around not talking about it? Yeah, those of you who are, mm-hmm. you know, uh, reticent to share. Mm-hmm. What what is it that uh, that makes it that way? I think for me, um, I like being able to pass as a normal person. (laughs) Air quotes, normal person. Um, Yeah, like someone who hasn't lived through those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when people find out, they're surprised. And that always happens for me. And so I think just the fear of the stigma being placed on you that, oh, you went through those things. Here are all of these judgments that are going to come with it. it. Does it make you feel good when they're surprised? Yeah. Because that means that you've been doing a good job of... Uh, air quote. No. Yeah, air, qu- yeah. air quote. Doing a good job <laughs> of uh, of living that good life. Yeah. Or appearing to, to, to have your shit together. Right. Um, but when I do talk about it on the show, I hear from people who have, have said that it has meant a lot to them and that they have felt more comfortable opening up about their own experiences. Yeah. And so that's been really powerful for me because every time I talk about personal things, I feel anxiety every time. Hmm. Um, but it makes me feel better when people in the audience reach out and say that it meant something to them that I, that I did that. So I think right now that's kind of the biggest takeaway for me. Um, and a lot of that is because of the audience. So thank you to the audience. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's great. It means a lot to me. So what about you? What, ha- what has been your takeaway or what have you? Well, I learned? mean, listen, I'm, uh, I am, a, a, a va- I, I'm a different thinker than I was four years ago. Yeah. I, I prized libertarianism, really, really romanticized it. Like it was a workable solution mm-hmm. for our society, for our government, for our policy. And, uh, through and o- having an open mind to new information, I have I've come around, and um, you know I'm more in love with my country than I ever have been, but I'm also more open to to looking square at the 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 blemishes, the flaws, mm-hmm. the shitty history, yeah, uh, and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. Knowing that we have a bright future ahead of us if we all work together toward it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, the takeaway would be my own personal growth. Right. And I hope that the audience not only has appreciated it, but hopefully we, we've, we've, uh, we've assisted or aided, helped in some small way with some small percentage of the audience to, to come along with me 
um, growing at the same rate in the same way. Yeah. So I, I guess our answers are the same, but in different ways where it, it relates to personal growth. And yeah. I think how could you not have personal growth when we have these conversations and people write to us from all over the world, which is still so amazing yeah, to me. Yeah, it blows me away. Um, and share their thoughts. And it really is when we get messages from people, even if we don't read them on the show, we read everything that is sent to us. We listen to everything that is sent to us, even if it's not on the show. And it causes us to reflect and change. And so... It's just been a really great experience and it wouldn't be that without the audience because yeah. they would just be sitting here in a circle jerk. And um, I mean, you never know. It's, and- it's the smallest possible <laughs> shir- circle jerk is two people. The smallest possible circle jerk. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been overall great. There's been some downsides with like the threats and the bad stuff well, that comes along, but um, generally good. Yeah, well, it is. I'm I'm thrilled, and I love our audience. Yeah. And I wanted to add the the other aspect that I think I've learned, and it kind of plays with the other. You know, no longer romanticizing libertarianism. I it still creeps in, and I have to kind of fight it off. Yeah, but it's empathy. Mm. I strive to be a kinder person. I strive to understand the struggle that I have not gone through. Mm-hmm. And that I never will go through. I really strive and I fail fucking all the time I fail. Yeah. I am a a miserable asshole sometimes, (laughs) but I really, really try. And you've, you've been very instrumental in, in helping me to be more, um, less (laughs) assholey. So that's good. And I appreciate that too. Yeah. Well, well, that's always a work in progress. I think for everybody, for everybody. Yeah. Right. It takes work. Yeah. It does take work. Yeah. I'm not naturally. I, I mean, I may, maybe I am naturally because I'm, you know, I'm a crier. I'm an emotional guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, it's that's hard. certainly a takeaway for me. Yeah. It's hard to step outside of our own experience. Right. I think that is just the default to view things through our own experiences. Yeah. And we that's something we try to practice a lot on the show is taking into consideration what others have experienced and making sure that there's room for that yeah. as well. And I, look, I, I do. Um, I, I enjoy having an audience that feels comfortable enough to check us, yeah. to correct us, mm-hmm. to even when they're wrong and they think they're correcting us. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Because the mantra on this show for four years has been one of moving the conversation forward on an episode by episode basis. Right. And if you're a conversation isn't about things you agree about, who gives a shit about that? Yeah. We want to talk about things that are hard to talk about. That's how you move it forward. Moving it forward. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thank you all for joining us. Seriously. For this 400th episode and as many episodes as you've listened to over the course of the past 400. And our 63 or 64 bonus episodes. Um, it is. Brittany was right. W- without you, none of this would be possible. Mm-hmm. We would ha- we'd have no interest in live streaming. And we'd have no interest in live call-in shows. We'd have. It would be the smallest circle jerk possible. Exactly. And n- nobody wants a part of that. So I think now is the perfect time to do the drawing. 
Oh, you want to do it now? Yeah, because right. we are doing the Patreon contest, and we had the here's the the pick hat, all the real cool upside down fedora. Yeah, we had uh, this contest for all current Patreon supporters, uh, regardless of the amount. That if you wanted to co-host the show with us. A chance right. to co-host the show with us. Then you responded to this message and you said you were in. For Patreon support. Yeah. And so we took everyone's names, wrote them on a little piece of paper here. And now we're going to do a drawing and see who the winner is. It's so exciting. Are you going to? I'm picking. I'm reading. Okay. Here we go. I'm the. You're holding the hat. You're picking the Okay. You the hold name. the hat. Okay. I have to do something. I have to take some. You're, you're t- walking me through it. You're talking about it. Okay. And now Jesse is mixing up the the papers and he's really getting in there to make sure it's real I'm random really getting in there <laughs> oh these are all bound together holy sh- here wait. okay and just <clears throat> choose the one okay and we have one we have one we have a winner and who is it gonna be Catherine walters Catherine walters Catherine walters awesome well that's exciting you're the winner Catherine. Cool. so uh get a hold of us well we'll get a hold of you why do we got to do all the work? Because that's how this works. <laughs> um, we'll send you a message and figure out the scheduling. And if you're in the local area, then you can come to the studio and do that. Uh, if you're not, we'll do a Skype thing. And also, we want to say, this is not the last time we're going to do this. We haven't decided how often we're going to do it, but this is definitely something we're going to do again. So if you are so bummed that you didn't hear your name just now... We'll do it again. <laughs> we're going to do it again, yeah. Unless... Catherine comes on the show and murders us, and then there's no show. Yeah, that... So, Catherine, please mm-hmm. be cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to some voicemails. Um, last time on the show, we talked about policing, as we often do, especially in the wake of shootings, unjustified uh, police brutality incidences instances across the country. Um. And we have a very uh, a wide-ranging audience filled with all kinds of different people who have all kinds of different life experiences and occupations. Right. Even police officers. Yep. Hey, Jesse, Brittany. It is Robert, a.k.a. Ranger Bob from Orange County. And I want to weigh in because I'm in law enforcement, and I just had a couple of uh, observations to talk about this issue you know, into the psychology of the cops. Um, a lot of it these days is interesting. It has to do with age. A lot of times the way cops are so scrutinized to get hired, they have to be so squeaky clean. We're not hiring people who have any life experience because they're getting people who've done nothing. And, you know, they can't really relate to people. Um, we've hired, I know a guy from my academy that uh, – he couldn't understand why people drank and got drunk and hung out because he was 21 and he'd never done it. So that's one part of it. And, of course, education. A lot of police departments don't require any education. Fortunately, my department, which is a resource agency, and we do require education, which helps, and we usually get older candidates. Um, and then, of course, the mission. You know, they lose sight of who they're working for or why they're doing the job, you know, and they're – there's this fear that's pervasive that, that, you know, the media puts out and people put out and this institution, you know, you got to keep yourself safe and you got to go home at night, which is true. But, 
you can't live your life in fear. And when you're you know, operating in fear, then you're more likely to do harm to somebody else. Um, and then another point of it is expectations. I mean, the first, typically when you pull somebody over or you get in some situation, you have this thing in your mind, that, oh, that's the bad guy. This, this guy, you know, he's speeding or ran that red light because he's a dick. But usually it's a soccer mom that's not even paying attention. So it's kind of something completely different than you expected. Um, I've had a knife pulled on me. But it wasn't some big, mean, nasty white supremacist who I have arrested and actually was cooperative. The person who pulled the knife was a short Hispanic lady that was, you know, 200 pounds. That something you just didn't expect, and I didn't want to shoot her, and so I didn't. Um, and, and long story, but and I can tell you about that later. But ultimately, it wasn't what you expected. So, you know, things are just not as cut and dry as you would think. And a lot of the, you know, the, the sheriffs around here, they spend a lot of time in the jails with inmates. And police officers deal with bad guys, and they get a, they, they lose empathy. And I can see it in myself. A, a lot of times you lose a lot of empathy for a lot of these homeless people and drug addicts that don't want help. Um, you know, over and over you deal with the same people that, you know, you know they don't want help, even though you've offered opportunities for them. And another point is, you know, a lot of cops just hang out with cops, which I try not to. And it's sort of this group mentality is just hanging out with cops, and it is a problem. And also specifically talking about that Starbucks incident, I mean, that's not even usually an arrestable offense, trespassing. If you caught somebody trespassing on somebody's property and they ask them to leave and then you show up on scene and you ask them to leave, unless they're, like, resisting and they won't leave, why would you arrest these people? It makes no sense at the most to be a citation. I don't even understand how that ended up being that. So, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. I mean, of course, we're from California. I mean, there's incidents out here, but we definitely have a little better attitude, I would hope. Although some of the, you know, sheriff's deputies that I know are, you know, definitely coming from the jail. They're not very nice to people, and I don't understand that. And I try not to be that way, and I try to have empathy and try to, you know, conduct myself with respect to give people respect that, you know, they deserve. And, you know, I always know that I'm probably not going to get the first shot off if somebody starts shooting at me, but I don't want to be the guy to start shooting first, especially if it's unjustified. So, you know, it's a, it's a fine line to walk, and you got to, you know, think of what you're doing. And luckily I work in a park, and uh, I do deal with a lot, most of everything that Sheriff deals with, but, you know, my mission is a bit different because I work for a resource agency. My job is to educate and as well as protect and uh, keep people safe and that sort of thing. Anyway, that being said, I love the show. I always listen. And uh, y'all take care. Separate Jesse. Brittany, you're the best part. <laughs> love the show. Brittany's the best part. That was like oh, a dramatic oh, end. A little sneaker there. Yeah. <laughs> um. I loved that call um, because I have I have no idea about any of this. So that w that was really educational, particularly the part about uh, the recruits being very young, yeah, and not having education. Mm -hmm. um, two experiences: um, education can bring a lot of um, <laughs> life experience that can help inform your worldview to make you more empathetic, um, and also. 
years lived can help that too. For sure. Um, so if they just a, a chance at more life and more experiences. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that they tend to be younger, um, tend not to have education, that is a little concerning. And I wonder if that does have an effect on how they treat people because there isn't a lot of understanding there, um, and how people come from different situations uh, that lead them to different places, and what you started the show talking about empathy. Right, having empathy for those different experiences and different places that people end up. I think my belief about police and when the bad ones, and there are too many bad ones, that there there needs to be ingrained in these people, men and women both who are cops, servant leadership. You have to have to be called to service. You're not the, the the overlord of the population for whom you serve. You are there to protect and serve. Right. You are a public servant. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you do what I say because I said it, you see these fists, they're going to fuck you up. Those types of things, which we hear all the time. Yeah. Those are problems. Yeah, and how do you weed that out? I mean, how do you recognize those people and fi- either fix that problem or get them out before they end up in trouble doing something terrible. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, and I I, I wish that he <laughs> would have uh, given more information about the process yeah. of what they have to go through because I don't know. Um, like what kind of testing, what kind of requirements. They have pretty in-depth psychological tests that they could run. Uh, corporations do it all the time where you take a test mm-hmm. and then you're just weeded out. Like, no, you're not the kind that we're looking for. Right. Um, and you have no idea, but mm-hmm. there's a certain... Um, you know, psychographic measure or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that you don't fit that profile. Yeah. And there's there's got to be a certain profile that they've been able to to identify right. that is the best type. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that he mentioned that I thought was awesome, and that is about being afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, because look, somebody's pulled a knife on me, but you know, it wasn't a... Just because you have a justification to pull a trigger and kill someone... Right. Why, that should be an absolute last resort. If you really feel like your life is in danger, then it needs to be done. Yeah, but well, only as a last resort. Yeah, you could even hear that coming through. And when he said that um, he doesn't want, he probably won't be the one to shoot first. That kind of attitude. That's also his job is not to shoot first. Walking around just with a hair trigger, ready to kill everybody. Right, but I wonder what is different about his training or his experiences yeah, that has his led heart. him to yeah or his heart that has led him to that place because we see so many police officers that apparently don't feel that way. Well, look, listen, I think you have two types of bad cops out there. Well, many more than probably just two types, but two types I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. One one is the cop who is that just prick who tells you, I'm going to blow your fucking head off, you know, Alton Sterling, mm-hmm. in that case. Yeah. Who's an angry guy, who, who wants to be the boss, who, who's insecure at his most base level. And then you got a guy like Officer Yanez with the Philando Castile case, mm-hmm. uh, who was pissing his pants afraid. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was so afraid that he just blew him away w- in the face of Philando Castile doing everything he was supposed to do, mm-hmm. 
He followed the orders. He let the cop know, hey, look, I, I just want to let you know so you don't find out later and freak out. I have a gun. Right. And I have a permit for it. Give me your permit. Goes to go, oh, 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 I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So there's two types. There's the type that we really don't want on the streets, which is that t- too tough guy. And then someone who's such a, a, a lily liver, such a, a little... <laughs> Afraid of everything, afraid of their own shadow that they're firing off in the in the dark mm-hmm. because they're afraid of the dark. Yeah. Big. We listen. Th- these are big questions that need big solutions. Far bigger than us. Far bigger than this show. Far bigger than the conversation we're having right now. Right. But we would love to know what everybody thinks. Yes. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone. To I doubt it at dollamore.com. We have another voicemail, and this one is uh it's interesting because we had a conversation similar to this much earlier in the week. Yeah. Um, just you know, personally. Mm-hmm. This is Daria talking about criticizing conservatives. Hey guys, it's Daria from New Hampshire. Um, so I was I kind of fell behind listening to you guys. So I went back and listened to the episodes I missed and there's just, I kind of had this um, thought. <laughs> so there's been a lot of conversation about conservatives feeling left out and conservatives feeling like their issues are not mentioned and how they're constantly heckled and how they're constantly, you know, shut down from speaking and expressing their opinions. And normally when I hear this argument, and we all hear it all the time, I just sort of don't listen to it. You know, I just kind of disregard it as whatever. But we've learned from the 2016 election that's a bad idea because those same voters who felt left out, who felt like they were not being listened to, who felt, you know, that they were ignored, the majority or whatever, those people, you know, voted for Trump. They felt strongly enough to vote for Trump, and they, you know, moved the election, and Hillary Clinton was blamed for not listening to those people's concerns about not being listened to and being left out. So that made me wonder about this whole argument about how conservatives are not listened to in the media or how their viewpoint is not expressed or how they're left out of the dialogue. Um, and I don't know how true that is. Um, and I'm not, like, posing a rhetorical question. I actually don't know if that's a true argument. I don't – I want to know what your thoughts are because I don't know if it's legitimate. Like, is that a legitimate argument? Is that a real concern or a real insecurity that the conservative movement should worry about? Or is that just, like, a pretext for them to criticize the media and criticize fake news for, and criticize college campuses for being too liberal? I don't know. Um, I'm actually curious if that's something that is that is something that because if they do feel left out and they do feel like they're being, you know, excluded from politics and from social media, I mean, that's, that's, that can't feel great, you know, and I'm sure that's going to be a political impact. So, but yeah, I'm just curious about how true that actual argument is and if it's something that I should be, you know, even if I'm on the other side, if I should be sympathetic towards it or if I should just keep disregarding it as, oh, it's just, you know, a pretext for them to bitch about the media. But anyways, um, Love you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. And yeah, stay great. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is a great um, 
a great question, and I think it will make for great uh, conversation, especially with how the listeners feel about this, and I would love to hear from them as well. Um, I think that Daria is right to want to have a balanced approach here um, because we don't want to alienate people further. We want to invite them into the fold, right? Sure. But I think we could be talking about different things because... A lot of times you hear people saying that what they're afraid of basically is um, being criticized for their conservative beliefs, right? right? right. That they're afraid that <laughs> um, that it won't go well when they when they reveal their beliefs, and for some reason they talk about this as though that's like oppression. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they're going to be criticized for what they say, or that they're going to be labeled or stereotyped. Like, this is going to be oppression to them. They're yeah. going to have their voice removed. Their rights are being taken away. And there was actually a funny article in the Washington Post written by Alexandra Petrie. And she does um, the hilarious articles. I don't know if she does one every day. It seems like it. She's just full yeah, of funny yeah. jokes all day. Um, but it is called, It is Too Bad I Have Been Silenced. And it doesn't reference Kevin Williamson specifically, but it is basically about him. He's the guy who got fired from The Atlantic over his abortion comments. Mm. Um, so this is just like a little bit of what she wrote. It is with a heavy heart and profound regret for the current state of media in America that I have dragged my laptop to a Starbucks to pen this column. But I think it is important that we understand the degree of oppression we are up against. I regret to say I have been silenced. I expressed an opinion and people criticized that opinion. And since that day, my voice has never been heard again. <laughs> <laughs> And this is kind of how I feel when I hear these comments. Right? Yeah, I just yeah. want to read one more part of it. Quote, anyone who has read my published works knows I understand what oppression is. Oppression is when you write something and then people online become upset. I am paying the price each day, an unthinkable toll. And I feel inside as though a terrible weight has broken my body and made it impossible for me to exist in public spaces in safety. Or rather, some people yelled on me, yelled at me on Twitter, which is very much the same. I ought to call the police. Every interaction I've had with the police has been pleasant. Um, <laughs> very funny. So this is kind of how I feel. And I try to balance it because, yes, they should uh, not be silenced. We want to have a conversation. Um, at the same time, are they victims of oppression? Because right. they is get criticism. I mean, really, on the scale of what oppression is, having somebody say, yeah, that's a dumb idea. Oh, my God. I'm oppressed. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Also, conservatives are in control right now. Mm -hmm. Conservatives run the White House, which means they run the executive branch of the government. Mm -hmm. And they have good majorities in both the Senate and the House. Yeah. So shut the fuck up about your oppression. Listen. If you're a liberal and you're you're giving a ration of shit to a conservative about what they believe, that's okay. Now, I think certain things are a non-starter. We shouldn't like have a conversation about uh, racism in this country and certain policies of the Republican Party that lend themselves to oppression of people of color. That's a no-go. LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. That's a non-starter. We're not even going to have the conversation about whether or not trans people can serve in the military. Fuck off. But I think immigration policy is up for debate. 
uh, even taxation. You know, there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. How we address the healthcare problem in this country, not all of it is worthy of scorn. There's conversations. Look, I think they have a lot of bad ideas. Mm-hmm. But there's no better way to combat those bad ideas than with better ideas. Right. So some things should be um, talked about, mm-hmm. addressed, worked through. Yeah. And some things, you know, they need to be shamed about. Yeah. It's it's not a yes or no. Well, yeah. And I'd like to hear from um, college students if they have experienced this where conservatives are they've somehow talked to someone and they've expressed that they're afraid to talk in class. I know in my cohort in grad school, there was a a Trump supporter. He voted for Trump and everyone would talk bad about him behind his back. Behind his back. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) One time in class, he we were talking about the election. I think it was the you know the first class back after the election, and everyone was kind of mourning. And he announced that he had voted for Trump, and it was very awkward. But I was like, "Oh, so this is new information? You voted for Trump, you know?" And I I kind of opened it up, like let's yeah. let's talk about it. Yeah, I yeah. want to have a conversation about it rather than just talk about you behind your back. Um, and it's classic Britney Page right there. I think that a lot of what happens on college campuses is that they talk about you behind your back, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are students, you know, getting so angry with you expressing a conservative viewpoint that you're fearing for your safety? I don't know, right? Unless you're like Milo or something. Well, listen. Um, but I, I just, I don't know how genuine that fear is for conservative students on campus that they really feel like they can't express opinions in class without being um like in trouble right yeah well give me a moment when the minority just really oppressed the majority that's Mm -hmm. not how it works yeah And, and listen if you're if you're a college student and you believe that uh you're you're the type that compares um two men having sex to a man having sex with a dog, then you need to be fucking shamed. You need to be treated like a piece of shit who's a bigot. Yeah. And by the way, I want to say that uh, that person in my cohort, he was not ostracized. He was one of the favorites. He was a very outgoing, sociable person, even after he revealed this information. So it wasn't as though he was an outcast. Once everyone found out the truth, it was, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It, it was, yeah, okay, you did that. Yeah. And people are probably going to continue to talk behind your back, but you're not going, there, there's no threat. You're fine. Your safety, your well-being, yeah. you're, you're fine. And I know this is just anecdotal one experience that I had, but whatever. I thought I'd share it. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. That's so good. We did a fist bump, everybody. Fist bump. So, <laughs> so listen. Um, the other thing. Thank you both for the calls. Yes. Um, we appreciate it very much. Uh, again, six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We we love. We listen to every single voice memo, every single voicemail. We read every single email. All of that is awesome. We appreciate helping us. Move the conversation forward. So um, there was last week the Southwest Airline thing where the engine partially exploded and shrapnel went through the window and it broke a window and the, the cabin depressurized and a woman got partially sucked out and some passengers helped uh, to pull her body back in. I don't know if she was, 
um, had deceased yet. But in the wake of that, the media, you know, obviously it's a big story. They're going to rush to. I mean, she's the first fatality on an on an American airline in uh, since two thousand nine, I believe. It's a long time. Air travel is phenomenally safe, ridiculously safe. Well, they went and interviewed this guy. And I want to juxtapose his reaction about all of the hero talk against what happened in Nashville today. Mm-hmm. At the Waffle House. At the Waffle House uh, with the shooting. Where four people were killed, I believe. And James Shaw Jr., um, and say, he did save the day. He, was, mean, an, he, he was an unarmed man, we right. want to say, that... Um, had a moment and was able to take the gun from the shooter in the Waffle House and through a little bit of a struggle, uh, get the gun away from him, throw it away, and then get him out of the Waffle House. And he, as far as I know right now, is still, um, they're still looking for him, the right. shooter. So I'm going to play a, a two-minute clip of James, James Shaw Jr. being asked, pe- peppered with questions about being a hero, and really they're trying to drive this home. And uh, he rejects the notion out of hand. I'm from Nashville, uh, my whole life, born and raised here. Went to high school, college here. Um, I work here right now, uh, work for AT&T, um, 29 years old. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter, and um, I think I'm a pretty cool guy to be around. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I knew I had it in me, but uh, I haven't had any specific combat training. It's just, you know, I had fight my daughter every night so I can get her, put her to bed. But um, I just knew it was it was me or him or that type of that type of scenario. So I chose to go with what I wanted to go with, and it worked. I didn't think about my daughter. I'm, so when it, on my Instagram and Facebook, everybody's calling me a hero, but I want people to know that I did that completely out of a selfish act. Um, I was completely doing it just to save myself. Now, me doing that, I did save other people, but I don't want people to think that I was the Terminator or Superman or anybody like that to just, it was just, I figured if I was going to die, he was going to have to work for it. So I rushed him, and it actually worked out to my favor. So um, I actually didn't think about my daughter until I got into um, the ambulance, and um, uh, one of the paramedics asked me about myself, and I told him I had a four-year-old daughter, and uh, that's, that's when it really kind of hit home. Um, so if I didn't put my life at risk, I probably, I'm probably not here. Um, like I didn't, I didn't know that he had extra magazines in his, in his, in his coat pockets. But when I seen the barrel down, I, I mean, you could shoot at the ground all day. That doesn't, that's not going to really hurt anybody. So, um, that was my opportunity and I went for it. So, um. So I love this man, and I'm so impressed by him, and it's very refreshing to hear 
someone talk the way that he is because it's so different from what you normally hear when someone is in this situation and they have stopped a tragedy. He is saying, listen, I... (laughs) I'm not the Terminator. I'm not Superman. Yeah. In our language, I'm not Jason Bourne. Um, I had a, a moment of opportunity, and it was me or him, yeah. and I took it. And I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to save everybody, you know, all of these things. Um, he's just being honest. And I think that for anyone who's been in a traumatic situation, you understand what he's saying, that it's like a light switch. That's how fast it goes. Yeah. And you have to instantaneously make a decision right then um, about what you're going to do. And so there isn't a lot of thinking going on, right? I'm going to do this to save everybody. It's I'm going to, yeah, it's you're you're making a decision. Bam. Your, your adrenal gland goes to work, punch, punches in an extra little dose of adrenaline, and you it's fight or flight. You're either going to run away and make it, or you're going to fight back when you're cornered. And in this case, he he was forced to fight back and make it work. Right. James Shaw Jr. And I hope that he gets the recognition that he deserves. As much recognition as the the good guy with a gun gets, yeah. right? Because he was unarmed. Unarmed. All he had was himself. And he grabbed the barrel of the hot gun, burned yep. his hand. He even, he got shot. It grazed his his arm. Oh, the, really? Is that what that was from? Yeah. Oh, wow. And so he needs to get recognition, especially from people in those communities that always trot out those, those stories. Um, but what is so profound about this is how different it is from the guy on the Southwest flight, for example, that helped pull the woman in. Uh, that was being sucked out of the plane and he was a firefighter and he was interviewed and gave his perspective on what what his call to action was we'll give uh, all the glory to god uh, just just being been here uh, right now uh, the ability to to speak um, before y'all uh, god put me in this position for a reason he gave he gave me this platform and uh, i'm forever grateful for that um There was a family that lost a loved one. And I've, I feel for her family. I feel for her two kids, her husband, the community that she lived in. I can't imagine what they're going through. But I'm thankful that uh, my family's here. We're standing strong. Um, we've had some emotional ups and downs, but uh, but God is good and, and uh, He's carrying us through. Um, I, I'm I'm going to stop it there. Mm-hmm. There's another minute, but it, it's all the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This this bothers me. Did he say the server servant's heart line yet? Oh no, I don't know. Well, that's okay, but okay. but that was kind of the key for me. So just remember that he said, uh, "God created in him a servant's heart." In oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't. That's all right. I, I, it frustrates me. I know. I see that. <laughs> the, all glory to God. A woman is dead. A mother is dead. Mm-hmm. A wife is dead. Two children are now motherless. But all glory to God. 
He's thankful. Oh, I know that woman's dead and her, her family's life is ripped to shreds. But I'm thankful that he gave me this platform today, y'all. It's a very... It's thankful a, my family is here and not dead like her. It's a very strange reaction to me. And I think that when people hear this, they think, oh, he's being so humble. But I don't, I don't think that. I think that James Shaw Jr. is being humble when he says... I didn't think about it. I just act. I, I yeah. just, this is what happened. Well, the, the other the other thing is, and I should have let the goddamn clip play, but he he says that, well, you know, any of my, I, I'm not special. Any of the great, awesome firefighters that I work with, because he was a firefighter, mm-hmm. that any of them would do it because they're great people, which is like saying, well, I'm a great person, just like all the other great hero firefighters. I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit uh, quick to get pissed off about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It could be. I'd like to know what the audience thinks. Yeah. But in the wake of a tragedy like this, when a, when a family is is devastated mm-hmm. and you're you're on national TV thanking God that you're alive, mm-hmm. it just seems tasteless, you know? Yeah, and that's why I felt it was so refreshing um, with James Shaw Jr. that he went out there and it was just so genuine. And that's what I mean. Like juxtaposing these two clips, uh, he he just is so humble. Yeah. And um, what he did is still profound. What he did is still amazing. Both both men. Yeah. yeah. And and. And there's just such a difference in the reaction to it and the recognition of their role in what they did. Yeah. Um, so hmm. are, you, are you still pissed off? Yeah. Yeah. Of course I'm still pissed <laughs> off. Glory to God. <laughs> Listen, glory to God would have been an awesome line had everybody been safe. Yeah. But when someone died, but you got to live, it's not glory to God. It's wow. Why? Why does their family need to be? in turmoil mm-hmm. but mine hey i get to live another day praise you jesus mm-hmm. it's it just uh i think it's hurtful mm-hmm. yeah um anyway moving on support for i doubt it with dollamore comes from generous engaged intelligent and good-looking listeners like you by way of patreon Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Harry. Harry. Harry is our latest Patreon supporter. Thank you very much. That is awesome. Welcome to the to the Patreon family, like we like to say. Yes. Um, listen, uh, we are like Brittany said, we're going to be doing that contest in another, for sure. Another couple, maybe three months. So mm-hmm. you want to get out, get on board, help support the show, help produce the show. Patreon's the way to do it. You can also support the show through what? what? Nothing. Oh, uh, you can also support the show through Amazon, dollamore.com slash Amazon, make a purchase there. That would be fantastic. Every little bit goes a long way towards supporting the show. And if you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon, why not help support your favorite show filled with news? News. (laughs) 
and ridiculous, ridiculous comment. Uh, Catherine, you are the winner. Thank you again. So much. We're very excited. That is awesome. And uh, moving on again. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So this morning on CNN, mm. Kellyanne Conway. This was intense. It was. It really went from zero to a million with no warning. Yeah, it was very dramatic. The, the phrase, huh, that escalated quickly, really, <laughs> really rings a bell here. Yeah. Well, she was being interviewed by Dana Bash. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the interview, Dana Bash says, you know, hey, listen, I got one more question for you. What's going on with your husband? He's been tweeting a lot of negative stuff about Donald Trump. Yeah. What's the deal with that? Yeah. And the reason she asked the question is because it is something that people are talking about. His tweets get retweeted by news anchors because everyone is kind of wondering, wow, this is weird. Kellyanne Conway's husband is openly criticizing Donald Trump. Yes. And she's the counselor to the president. Yeah. She works very closely to the president while her husband is tweeting negative things about Donald Trump. And it's he's very a, strange. He's not just some random like ambulance chaser attorney. He's a big deal in Washington. He's well known yeah. in these Republican circles. Yeah. So he's not just like her random husband that no one really knows. Right. We're almost out of time. I just want to ask you one question that a lot of people are asking me, probably you too. And that is, what is up with your husband's tweets? Your husband is a very well-respected lawyer, um, and he's been sending some tweets that have been critical of the administration. Um, just an example, in response to a tweet he saw saying President Trump's aides are reluctant to speak for him because he contradicts them later, your husband wrote, so true, it's absurd. He writes a lot of things that are also supportive, and he writes a lot of things about corgis and Philadelphia Eagles and sports, too. Uh, but the fact is, uh, well, two things I'll say to you. Number one, that, again, that woman who lost the election, whose name I never see on TV anymore, is wrong. That women, I think she said white women, have to listen to their, uh, the men in their life to, to form their own political <laughs> opinions. Wrong again, lady. Uh, number two, it's fascinating to me that CNN would go there, but it's very good for the whole world to have just witnessed that it's now, fa- would- excuse me, that it's now fair game what people's, um, how people's spouses and significant others may differ with them, I'm really surprised, but very, I, in well, some ways, relieved and gratified to see that. That no, should really be fun. No, I, I actually, first of all, I would ask you that if you were a man and no, your wife. No, you wouldn't. A thousand percent, I no, would. No, 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 And it's not There's about that. It's about, it's, about, it's about questioning, publicly questioning what you are doing for a living in, with regard to your boss. And it has nothing to do no, with your and gender. It and it has nothing to do with my spouse. And, right. Uh, that's what I'm just asking. Oh no, no, no! You just brought him. You just brought him into this. So this ought to be fun moving forward, Dana. Okay. We're now going to talk about wow. other people's people's spouses and significant others just because they either work in the White House or at CNN. Are we going to do that? Because you just, no, you just went there. Yes, yes. CNN just went there. Look, differences opinions. <laughs> by, this de- is, by the way, this, by isn't, definition, this isn't critical. I'm just asking about... Oh, of course about- it was. It was meant to harass and embarrass, but let me just tell you something. Absolutely not. Let me just tell you something. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion I when adultery is happening. I not agree more. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when one is, I don't know, draining the joint bank account to support things that maybe the other disagrees what? with. So this is a fascinating cross the Rubicon moment 
And, uh, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, that certainly was not intended to cross any Rubicon. It was actually intended to be um, somewhat lighthearted about the fact that we are all grown-ups who have different opinions. But I'm sorry that, that you took you it. Said. That- you said, I've got to ask you a question that's yeah. on everybody's mind. It is. It is. It is. I'm sure you, I'm sure you hear it, too. It and is. And it is hard to have, to have two uh, adults in, in a situation like this. But it is unusual sorry, for... I'm sorry, what does that mean? It is unusual I'm sorry, for, it's hard for whom? I'm sorry, it back is, it up. It, it is hard, hard for It whom? is hard for okay. the two adults. My uh, husband oh, and my husband. My point now is you're that, talking about my marriage again? I'm not talking about your marriage. You I'm, Kellyanne, husband. Kellyanne, here was my whole point in this. It's hard for whom? Is that you are a professional working for the President of the United States... And your husband is a very well-respected lawyer. And my point is, is that we don't often see, in fact, I don't remember the last time we saw somebody working for the president in a high-profile position when their spouse is saying critical things about them. That is all. Uh, that is all. Well, that, A, is not true. Um, there are other family members who, of people who work at the White House who certainly don't uh, support the president privately and publicly. But I will tell you this, uh, and there are people who have been in his administration who... worked for Democrats or gave money to Mm -hmm. Democrats. But all that aside, Mm -hmm. that really is meant to divert attention from, again, the big issues that America cares about. But like I said, CNN chose to go there. I think that's going to be fascinating moving forward. And don't deny that when you just said it must be difficult. I do want you to clarify, though, for the whole worldwide audience, and in fact, for me, since you raised me, Mm -hmm. it's, quote, difficult for whom to have two adults? My my point only is that... Difficult for my children who are probably watching you right now, because it's not hard for them. Well, I didn't say... They've already seen a double standard for their mother for two years. It is not about gender. I don't want to have this conversation. You know that I don't believe that it's about gender. No, no, it's not about gender. Hold on. It's not about gender. There's been a different standard for me than there have been for other people. And we bite our tongue plenty because I work for the people yeah. of this country, United States government, yeah. the presidency, and the president of the United States. So there's plenty that I don't say. There's plenty that I don't talk. Absolutely. I'll just, I I'll, just give you, say, I'll just give you, just because you, because be you went back here. Because you went there. You were always invited back here. Um, because you went there, I'll just give an example, because you asked, Andrew McCabe. The president went after Andrew McCabe for something that his wife did, ran as a Democrat, and that had nothing to do with the president. No, 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 no. no. The president knew something early that everybody else is now finding out. The president has excellent instincts, and he knew... But he didn't say that. He talked about his wife. Uh, You don't know that he didn't say that. Uh. Yeah, he knew that Andrew McCabe could not be trusted. And look what happened just this week. Andrew McCabe, it's admitted now that he lied four times, at least three under oath, Dana, criminal referral just this week because he lied about leaking to the media. This is the number two at the FBI. uh, anyway, and then they kind of go off the the rails there on the McCabe thing. Mm-hmm. But what in the hell happened there? Yeah, I think the part that really sticks out for me is the weird, like, threatening comment that Kellyanne Conway made. It was meant to harass and embarrass, but let me just tell you something. Absolutely not. Let me just tell you something. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion I when adultery not agree is more. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when one is... I don't know, draining the joint bank account to support things that maybe the other disagrees with. What cryptic bullshit is that? And Dana talked over her there, so I don't know if you heard the first part, but she said, by definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when adultery is happening. Yes. And then went on to talk about joint bank accounts and one person draining. What is she talking about? And the weird thing is, is that Dana didn't say... What the hell are you talking about? Was it about? Because Dana Bash's ex-husband is John King, who's on CNN. Right. The white-haired guy. Yeah. Um, was that like a dig at 
face to face with Dana Bash? Or the problem is, is that no one's writing about this. Yes, it's the most cryptic, bizarre, goddamn thing of the interview. Right. And no one's writing about it. What does that particular moment mean? Yeah, I have no idea. Because that is threatening bullshit right there. Yes. This is going to be fun, she says. I know. It's, this is going to be fascinating going forward. Escalating. Are you talking about my kids? Are you talking about my kids? Uh, No, you crazy freak. No one said <laughs> anything about your kids. Quit yeah. being a maniac and calm down. Danabash should have had the wherewithal to treat her... Like Jake Tapper treated Stephen Miller that time. Mm-hmm. Stephen, calm down. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Because I, I think she was probably caught off guard by her reaction um, yeah. a little bit. And trying to reassure her that she didn't mean to offend her. Um, but probably just trying to be too nice in yeah, the situation. For sure. But yeah, I mean, this this is a relevant question and we've had this conversation. Is this something that she should have been asked? And I mean, if, if Kellyanne Conway wasn't who she is, then probably not, right? It's not a big yeah. deal to ask someone about their spouse because what does it matter? They're not their spouse. They don't have the opinions that their spouse has. They're not responsible for what their spouse is tweeting, you know? Uh, but Kellyanne Conway is the counselor to the president. She is representing him on CNN. She's representing his positions, what he thinks on things. She's speaking on behalf of the president. (laughs) Right. While her husband, who is prominent on Twitter and elsewhere in his profession, is tweeting negative things about him. Yeah. In addition to Corgi's, apparently. Um, Well, the other thing is is that Kellyanne Conway works for a dick, works for Donald Trump, who tweets things about Ted Cruz's wife. Unflattering yeah. pictures of her. Right. Who 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 brings the mistresses and accusers of Bill Clinton to a debate with Hillary Clinton. Right. He's chief among the guilty if this is a bad thing to do. Well, so is Kellyanne Conway, though. She did the same thing, attacking attacking Hillary Clinton based on Bill Clinton's uh, shitty behavior. Right. She feels that she can do this because any kind of criticism that anyone from this administration makes of the media will be supported by that base. Yeah. And so they can go out and say, can you believe what she asked Kellyanne Conway? Look at fake news CNN, blah, blah, blah. And everyone will just eat it up. Yeah, they'll act like, oh, yeah, that was way out of line. Uh, Was it? Yeah. Because it didn't seem way out of line. It seemed pretty in line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully in in the days coming forward, we will have some answers about exactly what the fuck she was talking about, because that is... uh, well, I know. Is she going to roll out some campaign against Dana Bash now? I, I don't know. This is going to be fun. <laughs> what? She's a real ominous figure. Yeah, what are you talking about? So the other thing that happened this week is co- the Comey memos were released by the Justice Department, by the FBI, at the behest of the Republicans in Congress. I don't know what they thought was going to happen, that they, they were going to reveal some awesome treasure trove of bad, damaging information uh, against James Comey that's going to make Donald Trump look like he he's in a good light. Well, that is not what happened. In fact... One of the things that I don't think is getting enough press, it's getting some because the clip I'm getting ready to play is Anderson Cooper, but Donald Trump was emphatic with James Comey that he didn't even stay the night in Moscow in 2013, so there's no way 
he could have had the pee pee time with the hookers in, in, <laughs> in, in the in the the Ritz Carlton or whatever. Mm. It's just impossible, everybody. Yeah. So uh, Anderson Cooper lays out here very well the facts that it, it he absolutely one hundred percent did, and that Donald Trump is no surprise a sickening liar who now I'm editorializing likely a little 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 pee tape allegedly. Oh, yeah. Let me... Uh, do you have an allegedly drop? I do. Allegedly. There we go. Allegedly. Mm. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's... Uh, and then we get back to the board. See what you do? <laughs> you try to make the show better, and then I look like an, an asshole. And then I throw everything off. <laughs> More now on the newly released Comey memos. In two of the memos, President Trump pushes back on claims that he could have been compromised by Russian prostitutes, as alleged in the infamous Steele dossier, when he visited Moscow for the Miss Universe pageant in November of 2013. According to Comey's notes, the topic came up during a private White House dinner just a week after President Trump was sworn into office. Comey writes that the president insisted the claim by Steele was a total fabrication. Comey also says the president told him that he had, quote, spoken to people who had been on the Miss Universe trip with him, and they had reminded him that he didn't stay overnight in Russia for that. He said he arrived in the morning, did events, then showered and dressed for the pageant at the hotel, didn't say uh, the name of the hotel, and left for the pageant. Afterwards, he returned only to get his things because they departed for New York by plane that same night. Now, according to Comey, the president repeated that claim a little uh, more than a week later. Comey writes, he then explained, as he did at our dinner, that he hadn't stayed overnight in Russia during the Miss Universe trip. Keep it honest, there is evidence the president spent at least one night in Moscow. We found social media postings, other photos, and a video from different events in Moscow that prove it, actually. There's also testimony on Capitol Hill from Mr. Trump's former bodyguard that contradicts the president's claim. I just want to show you the timeline. Trump arrived in Moscow on November 8, 2013, according to a book written by journalists Michael Isakoff and David Korn about Trump's dealings in Russia. Here's a Facebook posting from that day that, uh, that's... Uh, Mr. Trump at the Nobu Moscow Sushi Restaurant posing with Russian Azerbaijani pop star Emin, the, uh, the son of the pageant's host. It seems he did stay the night because the very next day, Saturday, November 9th, Mr. Trump went on Twitter and wrote, I'm in Moscow for Miss Universe tonight, picking a winner is very hard. They are all winners. Total sellout of arena. Big night in Russia. Less than an hour later, he added, I was just given a great tour of Moscow. Fantastic, hardworking people. City is really energized. The world will be watching tonight. It seems it was a busy Saturday for Mr. Trump. According to Bloomberg, that very same day, he was back with the pop music star Emin, starring in a cameo role for one of his music videos. Take a look. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Emin? Emin, let's get with it. You're always late. You're just another pretty face. I'm really tired of you. You're fired. Later that day came the big event. The reason he oh was God. in Moscow, the Miss Universe Idiots. pageant was held. Here's the video uh, he took part in uh, uh, took, uh, at the after party. That's him with the newly crowned Miss Universe. Not clear whether Mr. Trump spent a second night in Moscow or flew home directly after the parties. But the next night, November 10th, Mr. Trump tweeted, I just got back from Russia, learned lots and lots. Moscow is a very interesting and amazing place. As for Mr. Trump's former and longtime bodyguard, how he plays into all this, last November, Keith Schiller testified before the House Intelligence Committee According to Republican and Democratic sources with direct knowledge of the testimony, Schiller told lawmakers about guarding Trump's hotel room in Moscow for a few minutes before he turned in for the night. But he did so uh, to deny that Trump met with any prostitutes, saying that a Russian offer to send women up to the room was rejected earlier in the day and that he and Mr. Trump laughed about it while walking back to his hotel room. The claims made by the president to Comey about not spending the night may, may have no significance, could have been a mistake or even a meaningless lie not to Meant, not meant to hide anything, but the claim, it's clear, itself is false.
Why would he lie? Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you this. CNN isn't doing some crack job of research finding this out. If you don't think that Robert Mueller already knows and has a timeline of, of Donald Trump, even using his Twitter account as a verification, then you are sorely mistaken because Robert Mueller is doing his due diligence and taking care of biz related to this. But it really does beg the question, why? Why lie? Why, why be so emphatic that, oh, no, he's protesting a little too much? Exactly. <laughs> I also think, to your point about what Mueller already knows, that talking point of, well, we haven't heard anything yet. We, no one's coming out. If, if, we if they know something, we would know by now. No. That's not how this works. That is not how this works. And it's so strange how everyone says that so confidently, like they understand how the world works. Relax. <laughs> they understand how the world works. Take the back seat. You don't yeah. get it. Okay. Yeah. That's not how things work. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. It's very frustrating. So, uh, again, you know, more is going to come out of this this Comey memo. Mm -hmm. It really was a It's not a surprise because at every step, the Republican Party has proved themselves to be woefully just defunct in logic and understanding of strategy here because this backfired just like the stupid Republican House Intel memo, memo did. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> so I guess th that's a good segue moving on to the other ridiculous thing of the day. <laughs> this is my favorite. This is going to be the new theme song for evangelical Christianity and the stupidity that they practice on a daily damn basis. Well, this clip is particularly terrifying because they're now using like threats um, to get people to stand by Donald Trump. It's not that Donald Trump is all that perfect of a guy. We all know he's not. And we know that it's, he's not necessarily perfect in every way that we would like. That's not, that's not how God works. He works through the ones he chooses. Right. We don't choose them. No. All we have to do is recognize them. Yeah. And when you recognize <laughs> a chosen one mm -hmm. and you have the discernment to know that they've been yeah. chosen and know that that's the will of God, then your life will be blessed. Yes. And if you come against the chosen one of God, Ooh. okay, Ooh. you are bringing upon you and your children and your children's children curses like you have never seen. Right. It puts a holy fear in me. Yeah. Oh, you know, and <laughs> they're we, picking the flaws out mm. of this man that God has chosen. Right. And you don't look for a perfect person. You look for the one God's chosen. How scary is it that she is calling Donald Trump the chosen one? Yeah, well, that's not surprising to me. This whole thing about the curses of people who criticize Donald Trump, they're taking things to new heights right. here. Your, your children and their children and you will be cursed if you question Donald Trump, the chosen one. Cursed for generations if you criticize the chosen one. Well, th there's other audio of her. Here, here is uh, earlier. She's not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I Clearly that's not her, but that, know, woman, that woman's name, by the way, is Mary Colbert. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is alarmingly paranoid and weird. 
But <laughs> Donald Trump is the chosen one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is this? The Matrix? What is happening? Well, I I think that she likely has um, just an amazing self esteem because uh, do they follow her around during the day and every time she speaks they say mm mm-hmm. mm yeah. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. She's not a Christian. <laughs> All right. Listen. What are you going to do, man? These evangelical Christian oh. Listen, I, I, when I shit on evangelicals, I, it's not just randomly shitting on Christians or or generally shitting on Christians. Evangelical Christianity is it's a white phenomenon almost exclusively. It, it is prosper it is a bastardization Everything Jesus taught, everything Jesus stood for. They're they're prosperity freaks. They are they are they're calling the winners and losers. Donald Trump is chosen by God. Jesus reached down and put his hand on Donald Trump's head, but he summarily rejected Obama, who actually cared about social justice. He actually cared about the things that Jesus would have cared about. Yeah, it's like they're the chosen one if they're the Republican. Yes. Weird. I want <laughs> I wonder if there's a connection, Brittany. <laughs> oh. No, I'm I'm sure there's some segment we can dig up where she was doing the exact same thing about Barack Obama. Yeah. President Obama. If you criticize President Obama, you will be cursed for and generations. So will your to children, come. and so will their children. It's gonna be real bad. Taking care of biz. Terry Crews. Terry Crews, the uh, former, I think he was in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He's the funny guy. He was in, he was in Idiocracy. Yeah. He was President Macho Camacho or whatever. Yeah, I think he's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, so he came out during the Me Too movement and revealed that he had been um, sexually assaulted and... By a dude at an after party. Yeah, and he has continued to kind of be um, a force, this very masculine, muscly man who can speak openly about his own experiences, but also he has started speaking about the problems within masculinity and how uh, it can impact women. You know, people have to understand that masculinity can be a cult. And when I say cult, it's, it's no different than David Koresh, it's no different than Jim Jones, it's you are, you, it's funny because when you, you don't even hear, you know, the a best way to ex, uh, example is, is slavery, is when slaves were, were, were yelling about, oh my God, I'm being beaten, I'm being hurt. The master would look at like, I don't understand what you're saying. You don't, you know, it, it's almost like there's this disconnect, like they won't see pain. There's a lack of empathy. And this is what happens with men and women, men who are in this cult. You can say as a woman, they talk, but a guy is not looking at you as even all the way human. And this is what you have to understand. It's, there's a humanity issue here. You're like, why don't you hear me? Why don't you see my feelings? And they're like, but you're not all the way human. You're here for me. You're here for my deal. And this is, it's real. I, I got a perfect example. Now, first of all, I, I have to tell you, I am guilty. I I'm guilty. I believe simply because I was a man 
that I was more valuable than my wife and the other women in my life. This is something that, you know, men have been sold a bill of goods for a long, long time. It's, let me tell you, when I was in football, I remember the guy, one thing the guys would do is go to the strip club. And the guys would go to the strip club, and you sit there, and here's the woman, and the whole thing. And once she starts talking about she has kids, or she, if she starts talking about anything in her life, it's like, stop, stop, stop. Because you're, because you're becoming a human before my eyes. I don't want you to be a human. I want you to be an object. I want you to be something pretty to look at. But as you talk, you're making things too real for me. So scary. So I think that this is particularly profound, again, because it is coming from Terry Crews, mm-hmm. uh, someone who is like a buff, masculine man, like what other men would consider. Right, right. Kind of the standard for masculinity. Yeah. yeah. And from other men's perspective. Yes. And so to hear him speak on this, I think it would be influential for other men to hear it coming from him. I don't know. <laughs> uh, listen, I'd love to hear more talk about how strip clubs are fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Strip clubs are weird and gross. Mm-hmm. Liberals are going to, uh, they're going to freak out about that, but they're fucking weird and gross. That's gross. Well, anyway. well, and I, I liked hearing him talk about that because he, he said that they were going there and they just wanted to see these women as objects and treat them as objects. And as soon as they, started trying to paint themselves as anything other than an object, there was no interest there. And so I think that is a good conversation for men to begin to have with other men. Yeah. Um, But... I, I just think it's it's powerful coming from him, but it... Re- I think it demonstrates that it's, it is difficult for women across all many different disciplines, not just exotic dancing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In, in, in the corporate world, in academia, it is a, it is a struggle that masculinity gets um, prioritized, right? I think. Yeah. And I actually came across this uh, tweet. It is a screenshot from a handbook for teacher assistants um, for the University of Maryland Department of Computer Science. And this is a screenshot from the handbook that they give to teaching assistants to basically give them advice about how to do their job. They're going to fuck this up, aren't they? And there is a section here for (laughs) female TAs specifically. Okay. And this is what it says. Oh, no. Your students may experience some difficulty accepting you fully in a scientific field, which they may, for whatever reasons, associate with male activity. Male students especially, but not exclusively, may try to challenge your authority, trip you up, or, more subtly, try to compromise your status by flippancy or suggestive remarks. Friendly, but firm and repeated assertion of your Uh. competence and authority to direct their study of computer science, asserted through deed and attitude, as well as through word, will probably take care of the situation. Such challenging behavior should fall off rapidly. That such assertion should even be necessary is admittedly annoying, but be patient. Seriously. (laughs) Making a million excuses for the dicks... The male assholes who are going to be challenging this person who is in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. But, oh, you got to be really nice to them. Mm-hmm. These fellas just don't get it. But if you be really sweet, because let me tell you something. They're not writing this to, to men, TAs. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen. Mm-hmm. If your fellow bros 
if they don't respect your authority, you better just be very respectful. Mm-hmm. Just a gentle correction. Mm-hmm. You don't want to come across as bossy. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do that. Yeah. Well, they so do- maybe University of Maryland should be asshole of today. They do have a message for male TAs, and it involves uh, female students that may try to capitalize on the male-female dynamic to their own advantage. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Most of these attempts are fairly transparent unless you are particularly susceptible to flirtatious or provocative behavior. Lest you be too flattered, it's very likely that it is the lure of your position or even more callously a grade that they're after, not you. (sighs) (laughs) It's like in an official document (laughs) that they give to people. It's truly, truly remarkable, is it not? Let me... What are your guesses? Audience, you're included. What are your guesses? What are the chances that a woman (laughs) wrote that document? Mm -hmm. There's not a goddamn chance a lady wrote that. Mm -hmm. That is all dude all day long. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, and and that's the thing. So they're teaching the women that they need to be patient uh, because even though they're constantly having to prove that they're worthy, that they're educated, that they are an authority figure. And saying to a dude, right. hey, if someone's coming on to you, she's just a skeevy little slime who's trying to get over on you. Right. So. God damn. Yeah. So there's still obviously a lot of work to do in this area. <laughs> you think. And I'm happy that Terry Crews is uh, continuing this conversation and engaging particularly with what it means to be masculine. Because right now, the most prominent figures talking about masculinity are people like Jordan B. Peterson. Right. And I think that it's important to hear from people like Terry Crews, who are approaching this in a nuanced way, um, from the perspective of someone that has had exper- negative experiences with sexual assault, yeah. um, and being a very masculine figure that men uh, yeah, you know, respect just, or just, look up to, just or whatever. like Jordan Peterson, super, super masculine mm-hmm. with his fucking number two pencil arms. Ugh. Anyway, let's end it there before I get in trouble. Thank you for joining us to help us move the conversation forward episode by episode. We love you guys. Bringing us 400 episodes is is a uh, beautiful. God, it, it really we, we're very thankful. We cannot thank you enough. We love you. We appreciate you. If you'd like to sound off, you want to help us move the conversation forward, get your voice on the record, um, challenge us, talk to us, whatever, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to have you follow us on the Twitter, at Brittany E. Page, at Dollamore. Go rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All of that helps the show very much. But most of all, we just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the family. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore. And this has been I Doubt It. Less asshole <laughs> <laughs>
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.